so much for joining us on this very special edition of the Cannibal Horrorcast. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about horror movies, as you couldn't tell by the name of the show. Uh, we haven't done it since six, how many months ago was it? Six? This is as long as a dog's leg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Johnny Destructo. With me this week is Stephen Andrade. Hey. And ML Miller. Howdy. Uh, we are here to talk about a movie that just dropped this year called The Color Out of Space, starring Nick Cage and Joey Richardson. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. light or actually i don't even know what color it was it wasn't like any color i'd ever seen before looks like a meteorite it's radioactive i mean it's from space right meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks it's talking to me who's talking to you directed by richard stanley but first we have correspondence. Uh, so this one's called So I Listen to Cannibal Horror Cast. That's the, na- the name Someone's of the email. Yeah. Uh, even though I haven't seen Hereditary, I did see Midsummer, Crawl, The Curse of La Llorona, Pet Cemetery, and Us. I'll agree the end of Pet Cemetery is the best thing about it, even though I haven't seen the original. I wish I could go back and wipe my brain of Midsummer. Ish. I like Us, but I recognize it had some flaws. The Curse of La Llorona was so convoluted. Supernatural handled, oh, Supernatural handled that myth better. Though Raymond Cruz had a hilarious line reading at the end of the movie. I can't remember what it was, though, because apparently I have washed that one from my brain. Chris St. Saucy, good night. I have not seen La Llorona. Me neither. Uh, but I believe that the last Cannibal Horror cast we did, we talked about Hereditary. We did. So he's responding to that. Um, <laughs> In a roundabout which... way. I didn't yeah, see sort it, of, yeah. But here's all the yeah. other stuff I did see. Um, <laughs> uh, I love, to this day, Hereditary. I maintain that it's one of my probably top 10 horror films of all time. But um, Midsummer, I wasn't as big a fan of. Uh, and I haven't seen Crawl, but everyone says it's so good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a it's like a popcorn monster movie, like yeah. a, a deep blue sea sort of mm-hmm. thing. With you know, it's fun. It's a fun horror movie. It's 
they they play around with a couple conventions that I really liked. If I bring it up, it kind of spoils a, spoils a bit of it, so I don't want to do that. But um, after you see no. it, maybe I'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I've been curious to see it, uh, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Anyway, uh, I didn't see. I wanted to. It's on HBO now, so I'll probably end up seeing it. I did see Annabelle, uh, which had a La Llorona crossover in it, apparently. Oh. But I didn't know at the time until I looked back on it. But at the beginning, um, uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, they mm-hmm. see a wreck on the side of the road, and then they look... And then all of a sudden this ghost appears in the back of their car and it's uh it's that's the La Llorona lady, apparently. Oh, okay. So it's a little cameo in Annabelle. So they're they were just connecting it all basically, trying to trying to make the Avengers of, of horror. <laughs> Shared universe of Blumhouse horror movies. Of shitty shitty movies. There that uh and Annabelle uh what is it in the house? What's it called? <laughs> Annabelle in the house. <laughs> no idea. Annabelle Electric Boogaloo. Annabelle it's <laughs> Annabelle three, but it's it's comes home. Comes coming okay. home. Come home. Comes home. But that one is not I didn't like that at all. The the second one I liked a lot though. I haven't seen a single Annabelle. Me neither. Well, the first, the story in uh, Insidious was really good, you know? Insidious, is that the one with Darth Maul? <laughs> yeah, that's the one that every time we brought it up on previous podcasts, you, uh, I believe your exact words were, fuck that movie. Oh, yeah. you know, that's a good point. Fuck that movie. <laughs> I hate it. All right. Let's talk about Color Out of Space. You guys want to do that? Yeah, definitely. Sure. All right. Uh, let's see. So I didn't know anything about the Color Out of Space. Uh, I do now, and I will tell you some stuff. Uh, it's directed by Richard Stanley. It's written by Scarlett Armaris, based on an H.P. Lovecraft short story starring Nick Cage, Joey Richardson, who I had to look up. She's from Nip Tuck. I think it's uh, Joe Lee Richardson. Joe Lee Richardson, yeah. yeah. Uh, my uh, computer auto-corrected it. Um, <laughs> Brendan, computer. Yeah, Brendan Meyer, who actually I just saw last night when I rewatched The Guest. I was like, oh, it's that kid from Color Out of Space. Um, Madeline Arthur, who uh, was from Big Eyes, and of course, Tommy Chong. <laughs> what? The girl was from Big Eyes? Yeah. I was convinced that she was one of the Olsen kids at first. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought she was a Mary-Kate or an Ashley. Let's see. IMDb has this to say. A secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite, which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. That's pretty good. That's pretty on point. Succinct. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an H.P. Lovecraft move, uh, adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen, you've you've read it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm a I'm Lovecraft fan, so I as looking at it as an ad- adaptation, I think it's really successful. Um, mm-hmm. It got uh, it basically followed the plot pretty much point by point from the original story, and they just added to the characters and fleshed them out. Because in the original story, Lovecraft, it's almost like a journalistic style. Like, the characters aren't really characters. They're just, like, mm-hmm. it's reporting as, like, who the people were on the farm and what they did. And uh, it also, I was pleasantly surprised this movie kind of got across, like, the cosmic horror aspect of 
Lovecraft's work, which so many adaptations don't really get. They just get, you know, tentacle monsters and that's pretty much it. So as an adaptation, I think it worked really well. I I agree. I think um, I reading, I I actually went back and read the story after I I watched the movie because I had read it a long time ago, but a lot of Lovecraft uh, kind of seeps together for me. Um, Mm -hmm. This, the Dunwich Horror, the, Mm -hmm. um, and and there are a couple of others, uh, which I think there's like a little, almost a little reference to that one in this. Um, there's a shot where it's seen from like, like a creature's point of view kind of thing from whatever landed in the meteorite. And it's in this weird, like, uh, like photo negative, like strange color vision. And that was very much like the optical effects they did back in the 60s. Oh, cool. When they were doing the Dunwich Horror for like, you know, that was a Roger Corman movie. So that was like on the cheap. So that was the extent of their special effects were like cheap optical effects. But yeah, I thought it was kind of a neat. I think I think it was probably intentional because it seems like Richard Stanley is a big Lovecraft fan. And I've heard that he wants to turn this into a series of Lovecraft adaptations now. Yeah, um, he's he's doing the Dunwich Horror next. And he said he wants to do it like a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style family, um, all these like weird, just a weird family. And um, it's supposed to be sort of set in the same universe as this movie. So mm-hmm. I think that the horse that was running down the the right. highway at the mm-hmm. end, I was thinking that that might actually show up in, in the Dunwich Horror. That'd be uh, kind of fun. Yeah. Having, they- having read Providence by um, mm-hmm. Alan Moore, um, it's, he really did, uh, kind of seep those concepts together really well. Uh, so it, it would, it'll be interesting how they overlap with, uh, with this sort of a series in, in trying to make this entire universe with all of these different stories from Lovecraft and trying to connect them. Yeah. Cause Lovecraft, I mean, the whole Lovecraftian universe thing, and they, they call it like the Cthulhu mythos and everything, but it really was done piecemeal. I mean, Lovecraft wrote some stuff and then he had friends who said, oh, I want to write some stuff. And they said, and basically he invited them to play in the sandbox. So um, Robert Howard, the creator of Conan, wrote some stuff that got included in it. Clark Ashton Smith, uh, Robert Block wrote a fan letter to Lovecraft and then like they began corresponding and then he wrote some stuff. So there's a whole lot of people that got involved and it kind of grew um, chaotically. So it never was an intended whole universe. So it is like I did read the Providence series by Alan Moore and uh, Jason Burroughs and he did a really good job of trying to coalesce all the things and trying to come up with a shared universe. And I don't know if Richard Stanley is going to be as anal retentive as Alan Moore, because I don't think anybody's as anal retentive as Alan Moore. But yeah. um, I noticed also there's one of the shots in this sh- uh, movie when they're watching a news broadcast and it's like the weather. And they did mention like uh, Arkham, which is, you know, the city it's set by. Um, and then I also men- mentioned Dunwich. And then there was, I think like one or two other locations that were also from Lovecraft stories. So they're only setting it up. The one guy who studies the, he's the hydroponics guy. Mm-hmm. He's the only science guy they have. Which is why they asked him to study a meteor. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> no science. I'm a hydroponics guy. And so they're like, do you want to take a look at this meteor? It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> yes, <same> science. <laughs> that's right up my alley. Radiation. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he ends up, uh, he's wearing a Miskatonic uh, University shirt as well. Yeah. Saw that. Yep. So. My only experience with H.P. Lovecraft is actually just the reanimator film, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I watched a movie called Dokken, 
about Dagon? 10. Dagon. What's it? Dagon. Dagon. Yeah, I watched that uh, like 15 years ago or however long, and I yes. hated it. Really? Yeah, I just was not into it. And um, that's kind of it, really. Uh, well, the, oh. the thing is with, with Lovecraft, it's kind of like you've seen elements of of all of his stories in so many other films that it's really hard. He is really influential to Stephen King and John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Like In the Mouth of Madness is in so much. In the Mouth of Madness is total. Well, madness. what I was about to say is that my main the, my main uh, connection, I think, is In the Mouth of Madness, which to me feels like a H.P. Lovecraft story, almost. Definitely. Well, yeah, it borrows so many elements from that. Um, and just, I, I, I mean, any, it, it's, it, he was, it, it's just weird to say how, how influential he was because he, he, he really did um, kind of, invent a lot of the tropes in the genre that we just kind of say that's what's kind of weird that his stuff is being adapted now and then all of a sudden people are going to be saying like oh they're just copying off of in the mouth mm-hmm. of madness they're just mm-hmm. copying, the they're thing. copying off the thing yep. yeah and it's it's like no that's the you know he is that was the inspiration for those movies and mm-hmm. uh, it was really kind of cool that that um I, I i i'm sure we'll get into the effects later on but um yeah, yeah. there were some callbacks to to um those other movies uh so but they're they're horrific images and i think that he really uh, richard stanley does really bring them to life really well i think mm-hmm. uh with this so you guys both agree that as a script um the it's pretty spot on with the novel that it's based off of yeah all I the same it, characters are there and everything i think uh pretty much i mean again it was the original was written in probably what 1930s 1940s early um yeah the latest probably like 1941 or something like that but uh um they were pretty much just like country farmers and very thinly sketched characters there was like a Mm -hmm. farmer his wife their children and that was it and then you didn't know anything else about them so obviously Mm -hmm. they had to give them all personalities and such and uh nicholas cage gives them extra personality which i'm sure we'll talk about (laughs) is nicholas uh, nicholas cage isn't a farmer in this movie right well, he's trying to be. Like, I mean, they, they don't really come out and say it right away, but he, like, he inherited the house from his father. Right. And now he's trying to like grow vegetables and be an alpaca farmer, which, okay, you know. Sure. Good on you, Nick Cage. Um, but yeah, they, they kept all the broad strokes and all the, the, um, the timeline, basically, from the story, the original story. They pretty much kept that intact right up through the end. Um, I wonder if there is a longer director's cut of it, because I will say that it did feel like we took some time getting to know the characters and then it felt once the meteor hit, it felt kind of rushed. Did anybody else feel that way? I felt like it got into the shit kind of quickly. It did, but it was weird. I mean, this is almost a two hour movie um, and stuff really doesn't really get into happening until I would say like the 50 minute mark. I mean, there's the, yeah. the, the stuff, the uh, meteor lands and um, all that stuff happens. And there's these subtle things that are happening around the way, but um, it, it really doesn't go crazy with all of the like morphing monsters and all the lights and all that stuff till like almost an hour into it. And then you get this. Yeah, there is a definite shift, especially in Nicolas Cage's character. Maybe that's why I'm thinking that, like, because it starts off so subtly and then it, it just builds on that same level for such a long time. And then all of a sudden everything gets turned up to 11. So maybe that's why, it, like, yeah. it, it felt like it was just ease, 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 and then just 
all of a sudden everything happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was taking some notes as a way, uh, like throughout the whole thing, rewatching it. And basically, I was thinking that, that he did, uh, Richard Stanley did a really good job of establishing them as sort of a, a, a pretty normal family. I think mm-hmm. that they, uh, they, they were quirky and they were like, each of them had their own little eccentricities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, but that made them all the more real, maybe. Um, like that, that dinner scene was very normal. Uh, and I think it was a, a definite, a, a purposeful sort of normal dinner thing just to show them what, what the base level is with that family. Right. So that when it does get crazy, uh, you, you have something to sort of go off, go on. Um, and, and I think that, uh, just that, just that level of normalcy, I appreciated that. And I think that a lot of films rush through that part. And they really, he really goes for the first 20 minutes of, of trying to establish this normal family. But I was never bored with that. I, right. I, he got, he, he got a cast together that were interesting enough to watch doing pretty much anything. And once they, once things do go crazy, um, they, of course they, they handle that in, in kind of unique ways. But once, but even before that, I, I never like looked at the time or, or anything. It, I mean, mm-hmm. really it wasn't until the, the one hour mark that I looked at the time and I was like, what, how are they going to wrap this up so quickly? And then I realized it was a, almost a two hour movie. Then I was like, okay, yeah, there mm-hmm. is yeah. Uh, still a lot more to do. So yeah, I, I felt the same way. I didn't feel like it was rushed at all. I thought the, the pacing was very um, well done. I thought um, I didn't, look at my watch either the whole time i was engaged the entire time all the characters were interesting enough together that they kept my attention uh all except for one um (laughs) and uh that was kind of my only problem with the film is what nick cage is doing um i think everyone else showed up to to make a movie and to work hard and and you know do the best performance they could do and then nick cage just showed up and nick caged his way through the whole thing so um i really i enjoyed it in spite of Nick Cage's presence. Um, I think uh, everyone else was great. I think he did a really good job in this movie. And good. I mean, I think with with Mandy and this and Mom and Dad, um, I want to see more horror movies with Nicolas Cage in it. Um, I think that he's... It's a genre that he really hasn't done much in as far as... I don't know. I mean, the, the David Lynch stuff that he did with him was kind of horrific, but it wasn't horror i don't think um and just the fact that he was in these last three movies and all three of them were pretty awesome um i i feel that maybe he's gonna be kind of give in to that kind of quirky craziness that he always brings to every one of his roles and um maybe he's this is a new page for him that i feel that that national treasure and all that stuff kind of ruined him uh in in a lot of people's eyes Uh um like he's still a really good actor. Uh, I mean, I, I, I thought it was really cool the way he was basically in denial the entire last hour of the movie. And he's trying to just have this whole normalcy thing going on and he's, he's drinking and um, he's basically just sitting on the couch and drinking and watching television, coping with like the, the problems that were going on. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what I'm doing. Coping with coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, we're all Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's he's so much in denial, and um, even when he goes in and he shoots 
shoots the wife and kid with the shotgun, he's like, they're, they're not my family. That's not really them. And, mm-hmm. and it, I, I thought just, just little lines like that. I thought were really cool. Um, well, yeah, I, I agree. That's all really good stuff that was in the script. Um, yeah. And then Nick Cage had to use that. <laughs> uh, those that are all was... things I think to commend the script about not so much Nick Cage's performance, trying to get that across. I just, at no point do I ever feel emotionally attached to anything he's doing other than, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's just, that's just me. I was talking about this with JD before uh, we started the recording, but um, I can't figure out whether or not I would have liked it better if it wasn't Nick Cage. Um, right. Cause I do yeah. think that another actor without bringing that like kind of Nick Cage-iness that like patented, like I'm going to just act weird and crazy at certain moments, like out of nowhere. Like, I don't know if that would have served the movie better and maybe it would have been more intense and I would have felt a little bit more for the character. But at the same time watching it, I was very entertained by Nick Cage's mm-hmm. acting and in some cases how bad it was. In some cases, like I know it was done for a specific effect. Like uh, one of my favorite non-horror scenes in the movie is when they, they're watching the news when they interviewed him about the UFO sighting. <laughs> And he's standing there and he's just like looking around and kind of like scratching the back of his head. And he's like, I had a drink of bourbon. And then like on the screen, it says like UFO eyewitness slash bourbon (laughs) enthusiast. (laughs) I did. I cracked up at that. There was some little stuff like that when he was just like acting like it was almost like uh, making dad jokes kind of things. And I said like, okay, like I like what he's doing here. And then there were some other scenes when he was just going off the rails and I'm, I'm, I was entertained by it, but like, was yeah. it the best choice? Maybe not, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, it still, I, it did not for me take me out of the movie at all. Like sometimes you see a movie mm-hmm. and an actor is so out of place or so bad. You're like, Oh, I can't even like, I watch this movie there, and now I don't care about it. So that, that's, there was a point here where I stopped the movie I rewound it. I got out my phone so I could record it on my phone because there's like some situation where he's talking to his kid about putting the alpacas in the barn or something. And he, he just puts on this weird accent for no goddamn reason. And I was like, what, what he's, was that? Why, what well, I love it. I love it when he comes back and he's like, they are alpacas. Alpaca. <laughs> <laughs> his voice kind of gets like high and like a little like Southern pissy. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. His, it's almost like that. um, It reminds me of his accent from Vampire's Kiss. um, That his name was Vincent Lowe or something like that. But he had a very specific accent for that film that he went kind of crazy with. And I think that when he gets angry, he kind of adopted that that (laughs) accent again, which very odd. But I love the way he said boobs when. And he was milking the, he was milking the goat, and he's trying to uh, he's trying to explain it to the guy, and he's like, yeah, he goes, you have to be really, really tender and 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 uh, careful with the uh, boobs, <laughs> alpaca, and, and then he offers it offers the guy to drink it, and it, that just reminded me of the uh, Mark Hamill moment from uh, Last Jedi, <laughs> right? So I mean, I, I I don't know, I think that there's there's a lot of uh, he also has another peach reference, which if you pay attention to Nick Cage's performances, he he always makes some kind of weird peach reference <laughs> when he's when he's cutting the tomatoes. He says something like, 
He's like, oh, you're a peach. Uh, or, <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's it's some vaguely sexual reference, which mm-hmm. showed up like Blue Velvet and it showed up in Face Off and it shows showed up in quite a few different movies that he's been in. That, so he's got some type of weird thing where he wants to mention peaches in every one of his. Yeah, I think in <laughs> Face Off, it's like she tastes like a peach or something yeah. like that. I can eat a peach for a week. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so gross. God yeah. damn it, Nick Cage. Why are you? <laughs> but, I, but do you guys think that this movie would have gotten the press and the amount of um, kind of accessibility to new uh, viewers without uh, Nick Cage? Because no, I, I think star power is still pretty... It's it's tarnished yeah. a bit, but it's still pretty strong. That's well, exactly become, what Steven said before yeah, we, we were started recording. Before we started recording, and Nick Cage has become kind of like a cult actor now. He's kind mm-hmm. of achieved, achieved yeah. cult status, so he's got a following. Uh, I have a friend at work who uh, I, he recommended Mandy. I still haven't seen it because like Same. I don't have time to see movies. But he's like, yeah, you got to see it. Nick Cage is nuts in it, and you know, it's just you know, we talked a little bit about like Nick Cage performances and everything else, and. I do think that if Nick Cage had not been in this, you would have had a really good Lovecraft adaptation. So people who are into Lovecraft would have seen it. Uh, people, horror movie and sci-fi movie aficionados who know Richard Stanley, either by his movies or by his reputation, um, or, you know, people who have, I watched that documentary about the island of Dr. Moreau, which got me really interested in him, just learning oh, about that. Yeah, I'm um, obsessed movie and richard stanley i think they're, it's just fascinating so like i think those people would have seen it but i think you're right it's like nick cage does put butts in seats you know mm-hmm. as weird as yeah no i agree it, it, it bums me out that uh that that's the case but yeah i think you're right if he wasn't in this movie i'm not entirely sure it would have gotten the buzz that it got what other actor out there do you know that is just like kind of crazy and nuts and mainstream uh like he the only one i can kind of He's kind of comparable to uh, uh, Crispin Glover at this point, yeah. where I'll watch anything with Crispin Glover in it. I just think that he is, he's such an eccentric um, and, and uh, chameleon-like actor. Uh, Chris, mm-hmm. or, and also uh, Christopher Walken. It's like all those guys have mm-hmm. made careers on just making, having these weird roles. And um, I, I, I don't think, I think Nick Cage was kind of miscast somewhere along the way as like this heartthrob or this this big muscular action hero. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, you know, movies like Vampire's Kiss, Raising Arizona, uh, mm-hmm. all those movies were, and even uh, Wild at Heart, they were all his. That was his strong point. That's that was where he was like just kind of given into the madness that he had inside of him, and uh, and just show just really just pushing that out on the screen and everybody. Everybody really loved him back then. Um, even in Leaving Las Vegas, I think that it, it portrayed him in a very sympathetic way. Um, and he wasn't, he was definitely not like a, a romantic kind of lead or, a, or any type of heroic sort of character, but he was fascinating to watch. Uh, uh, somewhere along the way, he lost that. Uh, but I, I feel he's crawling back uh, movie by movie into that sort of category where I just want to watch him what he's going to do in the next movie that he's in basically um yeah i don't i don't mind that he's in this um i just i just wish he brought it down a couple notches uh and i'm able i'm able to um deal with it a little bit more because part of the plot of this movie is a 
meteor comes along and it starts fucking with their brains mm-hmm. um, and their perceptions and everything. So mm-hmm. the fact that he starts to act really wonky and weird and gets crazier and crazier and cagier uh, as the movie goes, there's at least a reason for it. Right. You know what I mean? There's, you know, I remember mom and dad, which is awesome. I love, if you guys haven't seen mom and dad, I would highly recommend it. But yeah. even in that, he's pretty even keel for most of the movie. But then there's a scene in the basement where he goes full cage for like <laughs> a couple of minutes. And then I'm like, oh, there he is. All right. Can you get back? Now we go back to normal. Great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, he, he does. There's a little bit of charm here that he brings. But more often than not, I'm just rolling my eyes at it. But there's a couple of good bits in here um, that that he's that he's involved in. Um, well, I, I think th- everyone else. What do you? It, it just really feels like the character was kind of underwritten specifically for him. So he would mm. apply that cageness to him because other than that, all he did was really go around and say uh, he was an overprotective dad for his daughter. Um, mm. He was trying to be a loving husband. All of that is really boring stuff, but um, mm. it's, it was the, he stood out because he was acting in all of those kind of crazy ways. Like I, I, it would have mm. been, Every time he saw him, the really the only thing that he was doing was being the kind of the the protective father, even though he wasn't very successful at that. That was mm-hmm. all the lines that he had. Um, like he would tell Lavinia to go indoors, like whenever the the guy was around, and um, he was really. Um, it seems like some of the like one of the weird themes in this movie. I mean, you could boil it down to basics, and it seems like Nicolas Cage didn't want his daughter dating a black guy. <laughs> 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 Which it's would also be felt. very Lovecraftian since H.P. Lovecraft is a huge racist. But yeah, uh, but yeah, it just it was just weird. If you look at that, it was just, he was he was constantly trying to get his daughter to go inside, um, and you know, go tell go check on your mom. Go like, get away from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which was really really weird because he was kind of that way in uh, Mom and Dad too, which was very odd as well because his daughter was uh, was dating a black guy in that in that movie as well, which was just. I don't know. It's an ongoing theme. (laughs) (laughs) All of these were produced by the same company as well. Oh, really? Andy, mom and dad. And this, this this is the third movie that he's worked with this production company and um, there. So, which is, that's, that's really kind of cool that they're, they're doing that. Um, And I think this also paired with Elijah Wood's company, which is um, basically he has his fingers in all the pies right now, uh, as far as is concerned. Um, but. I'm surprised that mom and dad has, I haven't heard people talking about that movie. I was such a surprise hit for me. I loved it. I still yeah. have to watch it. Cause that was one that I saw on, uh, I was like scrolling through looking for movies and I was like, Oh, this, you know, sounds like it could be interesting. And again, just, I don't have the time these days. So yeah. Yeah. I'll have to make some time to watch it. It's, yeah, it's great. Grant Morrison has a little cameo in there. That's right. Yeah. Cause I think it was from an idea that Grant Morrison had. I think, or oh, okay. Some, uh, yeah, Grant Morrison was sort of, I think, somehow the inspiration for the story. Um, okay, it, it's basically about how parents um, have this natural urge to want to kill their children, and then something happens Accurate. to amplify that. So, so everyone else's kids are fine. It's just that you're, if you're a parent, you want to kill your kids. So. Um, yeah, it's like 28 I, days later, but it only affects people with children. Yeah, towards their children. Yeah, and yeah. there are some fun twists along the way too. Being stuck at home with my yeah. five-year-old during uh, school closing from the corona, I can attest that every <laughs> word of that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
what did you guys think? Let's move on to scares. Uh, did you, as a horror movie, um, what did you guys feel? What did you feel about it? I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it had a lot of good creepiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the climax of the movie I loved. I thought that was handled really well. It had some disturbing imagery and just um, I felt that overall, I think they hit more of the, the scares they were looking to get than they missed. There were mm-hmm. a couple misses, I thought, in terms of um, how the effects held up. Um, these days, I'm always bummed when I see uh, CGI. And I know that now oh, yeah. nowadays, a lot of times, CGI works out cheaper in some way to do for movies because they don't have to spend the time planning and, and making uh, you know, props or making models or whatever. Um, so I, I liked some of the use of the CGI in the end when uh, it's more cosmic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But there was the uh, the skinned cat in the road, which I thought looked just awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that one I think was supposed to be a lot scarier than it was. And it just was just like, oh, wow, that, that's pretty bad. And then um, there was like the little, the like the mantis, like the, the pink praying mantis, which was not meant to be scary, just more unnerving. But again, it's I didn't one of those mind. things where, it's one of those things where I'm just like, uh, it, I'm just thinking, look at that computer effect. I'm not thinking of that yeah. as a real thing. Yeah. Even if I it like had the been... Close up, the close-up on the mantis's face where he's got the multiple mm. kind of weird eyes and then he's got the tentacles coming mm. out of his mouth. I thought that yeah. was... Yeah. That was better, but a lot of the other... I like the design stuff, of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, like I liked, there's a definite... I feel like a definite homage to the thing when they go into the barn and there's all the alpacas have merged into like that one... like technically kind of amorphous alpaca blob i like that a lot because that um felt a lot more uh visceral and i I thought those effects and the effect also obviously when the mother and the and the son Mm -hmm. had the same thing happen to them i thought those were really great creepy gross out effects um and so i think i think as a horror movie it 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 worked really well hitting most of it Um, yeah I think they're both the, the the script and the 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 effects for me worked. Um, yeah, the cat was a little rough, um, and and uh, I think that alpaca scene when they showed it all, they showed the broad shot. Um, it didn't work as well as that broad shot of all the dogs kind right. of melded together because yeah. that was practical. And the long shot of the alpacas, it seemed like that was CGI. I'm pretty sure it was, but there were close-ups of it. And I'm wondering if because of budget, um, those the actual effect didn't look as good when you pulled the camera back a little bit. Um, Right. uh, I one of the I mean, the one of the scenes that really freaked me out, and I think this was all practical, was when um, Lavinia goes upstairs for the last time um, to see her mom and and brother who have been kind of melted together by this blast from the. from from the the was it is it from the well or from the farmhouse? I'm not sure. uh, that one was from the farmhouse, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's after he kills all the alpacas. Is that what happens? Or I'm not I sure don't think. No, something. I don't think he's killed them at that point yet. Yeah, I think uh, that happened before. I forget why they go in there, but um, yeah, they they go in. They're looking for the dog. I think. All right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I think that scene was done really well. Um, the but um, they there's that scene where the mom and the kid are upstairs 
and they get up out of bed and they crawl towards Lavinia. And it's just this blob of uh, bodies together and these arms and legs that are kind of crawling towards them. And it's a, it's a, it's an, a shot from above. And it, that just freaked me the hell out. Mm. I that yeah. And then when they they bust in and they shoot it, shoot her in the head and the blood just splatters all over Lavinia's face. I'm just like, God, this family is just being really put through the ringer. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I mean, it's, I, I give them credit also for really going for it and not, you know, there's no happy ending here. This is just, no. it's, it's totally bleak and nihilistic, which is like a lot of HP Lovecraft's work and his view of humanity. Mm-hmm. So that's right there. Um, I also did like, there were a lot of subtle things, um, not so much scares, but just subtle things to make unnerving where they did like color effects. Like the, um, they had yeah. a scene where Nick Cage was putting ice cubes in his glass and you can see yeah. they did a little color effect where it was like a prismatic thing on there. Yeah. Uh, and then there was the earlier scene. Like a little bit of oil or something almost. Yeah. And there was an earlier scene where the uh, um, ward, the uh, guy was checking out the site for the, um, for the, the hydropower. Yeah. yeah. Um, Scientists. <laughs> he's out in the woods and he's shining his flashlight in the dark. And as the flashlight pans, there's just little hints of that same kind of prismatic effect of color. And I thought that was really nicely done, just showing that there's a little mm-hmm. bit here and there. It's like infecting the woods. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's like the entire place is infected and it, and it keeps on expanding. I love that. The other thing I loved about the script was there's this one line that it's it's actually in the the written kind of uh, the written story from Lovecraft. But he said, um, he says, uh, oh gosh, I wrote it down. Oh, he said, Billy, um, Billy lives in the well now. And mm-hmm. just that line was just so creepy. Um, mm-hmm. It's so vague and so you know it's it's such an odd line but he's saying like all oh, all the families here they're all over here look at them yeah. and he's obviously just hallucinating right now but he's like except billy billy's in the well now and that just seemed <laughs> it's such a it, it's a throwaway line but i think the way cage delivered it and at the time of all of this other crazy stuff happening it just works and it really it really is chilling um I, I like the opening narration too because i think it sets the stage really well um they were talking about um, all of these, um, the forest and how old it was and how no sun has ever shown on the ground because the thor- forest has been so thick. And um, all of this stuff that really establishes a really great mood. And all of that, I think, is just straight from Lovecraft's words. And mm-hmm. it shows how mm-hmm. much Stanley, I think, respects. And, and, and even the end of the movie when, you know, they flooded the valley mm-hmm. from the reservoir. And it, that's little things that, like, it, it's kind of neat that I, I respect that they didn't come out and say really bluntly, like, oh, the, you know, the town wanted to buy this land for the reservoir and I didn't let him because blah, blah, blah. But there's like the scene where the mayor's there and she says, like, you should have sold me this place, you know, and mm-hmm. you piece it together like, oh, OK, that's why they wanted to use that land for it. And then um, the guy's up on the dam and he's looking at the reservoir and saying he's never going to drink the water. That's like pretty much also from. So I believe that's also almost verbatim from the original story talking about, you know, they flooded dogs. Like Mm. I would not drink that water, you know, yeah. who knows what's still alive down there. Yeah. uh, Needless to say, I, I'm drinking, I, I, well, I've always drank bottled water. I don't trust the Chicago uh, (laughs) water system here, but um, yeah, I was not drinking right from the tap after this. (laughs) It really does. Um, And I think that I, Another movie that this was based on, uh, The Curse. I don't know. Have you guys seen that? Tell me which which one. 
it's called the curse and it's also yeah. based on the color out of space i don't think uh, i've seen that one this one stars will wheaton um it was like right after his stand by me days pre-star trek creation wow. but basically he was a boy on a farm and a meteor comes down and it changes basically it changes his mom um and it turns her into this like kind of like blob-like creature but the dad is religious and they don't believe in doctors they don't believe in anything like that so they he has to go up and take care of her and it's it's very much like the fly it's very uh practical effects um and it's it's like any body horror like this there you can name like any type there are so many movies that have been out lately about that I, i think the most famous has been the fly but um just that whole um, fact that you're being you're disintegrating your body is is becoming a foreign to you you're what is that yes the that's curse. the curse yep that's it that's it yeah it's actually a pretty well-made movie um i don't know who was the director but um i i do remember it to be very unnerving uh, and it just uh, 1987 mm-hmm. uh directed by david keith adapted from david- the color out of space david keith the uh oh that's keith david keith david is the guy from they live is that what you're thinking of i do the same thing i do the same thing every time yeah oh okay david keith i don't know who that is but um yeah you do who's that oh Oh, shit isn't he from character actor isn't he from um he's from um he's in that movie i think he plays the dad oh uh isn't he from uh firestarter yes yes he is he's the dad in firestarter Mm -hmm. Maybe he plays the dad in that, or he plays something in that movie. Anyway, but he uh, actually, um, or that that movie actually, I I don't know. It just creeped me out when I saw it, and and then I saw The Fly. But but lately, there's been so many other movies that that kind of do this, where it's it's it seems like it's a metaphor for disease, for AIDS, for cancer, for whatever it is. And I imagine with coronavirus happening now, that we're going to get a lot more body horror kind of films. I hope they're not obvious. Like, uh, hmm. did you guys see my review for Corona Zombies? I, I saw that there's a movie called Corona Zombies. Right. I saw that it existed and that was enough. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's 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 funny because I, I maybe I'm just punchy just being in the house all this time. But it was really kind of a relief to kind of laugh at some of this stuff. Um, yeah. Some of the jokes are obvious, but it, it, it did it did kind of just make light of a lot of the stuff that's going on. And I think it's, I think it's necessary just as humans to kind of mm. try to find something to laugh sometimes at these oh, things. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, the, for some reason it worked for me. So I suggest, I, I do actually recommend it. It's like, <laughs> oh, MST, wow. It's like MSTK three K or MST three K um, where yeah. they, it's, it's basically old movies. It's a couple old zombie movies, and then they just dub over the top of them with just guys' voices. Oh, um, that's funny! That sounds, All right, that sounds so, more interesting than what I thought it was. I thought yeah, it was one of those absolutely, like, but they it had also a generic zombie movie and then just slapped the word corona on it. No, no, no. Yeah, no. It, I mean they do have a couple of scenes that that try to make it into a storyline. So it's like a girl at home trying to survive the coronavirus and she's talking about the coronavirus. But for the most part, it's this movie, hell of the living dead, um, Mm -hmm. where it's like an old Italian zombie movie that's in public domain. So they could use it. And um, they basically follow the same story, but they use all of these different uh, like sayings, like you should be six feet away from me. And they're pushing the zombies away. (laughs) Oh, funny. 
so um that was that was a lot of, it, for me it hit at the right time um just so so i recommend it but um anyway just, it's that yeah. type of, I, i'm wondering if we're gonna get those uh, an inundation of those types of movies here in the next year or so which i'm sure we will um yeah i uh to go back to it um I thought this was awesome. Uh, as far as horror movies are concerned, I thought the horror was great. I thought most of the effects were great. That they were trying things with these um, sort of, I guess, what are they called? Elder gods, uh, mm-hmm. these tentacle monsters. I'd never seen tentacles done in this way. Uh, all of the color is just fantastic. I find it super beautiful and gorgeous to look at. Uh, there was times where like, I would. There were a couple shots where I'm like, this looks like a Thomas Kincaid painting. You know, the guy used to have Von Lyle the Malls, like with everything's all pink yeah. and like flowery. And that's yeah. Oh, I thing. love it. It's like, it's, it's aesthetically, like you look at it and it's, it's beautiful, but it's yeah. wrong. And that's like yeah. the whole thing. It's well, like, it's... It, I, I looked, did some, a little research on this and it said that the, the color was actually magenta is actually a color that cannot be replicated in nature. So, um, wow. that's why they use this one. But yeah, it's supposed to be some kind of just color that we've never seen before. Yeah, which is hard to do. It's easy to yeah. do in writing to say it's a color, but it didn't look like any color. And then, you know, they yeah. had to go with like this pink. Like yeah. Nicholas Cage is first describing it. It's like, it's pink. No, it's, it was like no other color. And I'm like, no, it's it's pink. It's, it's, yeah. pink. it's just pink, pink dog. But I mean, it's, um, how do you do that? You know, it's impossible to do. Yeah. But So I give them points for you know, making it as bizarre as they could and making it really work. And yeah, I that's why I wasn't did... so bummed about the CGI in some of the mm. instances here because uh, you couldn't do this um, as far as, um, you know, traditionally. Right. Yeah, so got, I think you need you to CG to the, it. Um, to the very end where, like, the, just the kind of spout comes out of the well and just, like, erupts through the space and um lavinia is kind of consumed by it i thought that was that was a good use of cgi i thought all those effects looked yeah great and then like the grass just starts moving and like crawling over mm-hmm. the guy's hands as he's lying there and uh so then, cool yeah there's a lot of really good stuff there um like mm-hmm. i said there were a couple moments that i didn't think worked as well but at the end when it really had to it all came together in a really great way yeah now having never read the book i was completely sidelined by the um the mom and the boy merging bodies so when they when i got to that point it felt like it kicked it up a couple of notches for me and i went mm. oh shit this is fucked yeah. up i didn't realize it was going to be this fucked up and you know, i didn't either because some... that's not in the book oh isn't it okay no they, they um, just have they in the book it's a longer period of time and the mother gets put up in the attic because she's acting weird. And then like they, there's hints mm-hmm. like she's no longer quite human. And then like the same thing happens with, I think it, I forget if it's a son or a daughter in the book, but um, yeah. no, they definitely pushed it up by having them fused together here. Yeah. 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 That was great. I mean, it, yeah, I, it, it sucks that this has to happen, but when you see a little kid in a movie, it's either going to be, Oh, this kid's going to be fine. Or it's mm-hmm. going to be they're going to try to make it um, make it much more impactful uh, by having the kid something horrible happening. Happen yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. I, I think it works. In, in it this gets case. me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think also because you are kind of forced to look at this through Lavinia's eyes and you see that she has to go up there and sort of see her and comfort her, even though she doesn't look like this 
person that she's grew up with or it, it, it's mm-hmm. just it it hits you on this level of kind of 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 just personal horror that it's it's uncomfortable and it just makes you feel just it, it just makes you feel icky thinking about it but i love that type of uh stuff on in horror movies it just seems like that's that's the type of horror that that it really does horrify you it makes you feel mm-hmm. you you have a, a visceral kind of reaction to it well, sadly, that's where the show has to end because we were trying a live stream for the first time for the Cannibal Horror Cast, and uh, we had some technical malfunctions. So, that notwithstanding, I think everyone on the show really liked the movie and would recommend it. So, if you get a chance to see Color Out of Space, it's streaming now. You can go check it out and uh, hit us back. Let us know what you thought of the movie. You can email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com and you can leave us a voicemail if you go to cultpopgo.com and click on the bright red banner. You can do that from your phone and leave us a voicemail yelling at us for our technical difficulties or our terrible opinions. And I guess that's it. Thank you so much for joining us and we will talk at you later. Until next time, smoke drugs, have premarital sex, and hey, why not go check out that strange noise in the basement? What's the worst that can happen? 